Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is happening, gang? The Hall of Fame for 2020 and 2021 might have happened. The inductions are in the rearview mirror, but we are not done taking a look at some of the Hall of Fame players Bill has been around in his illustrious NFL career. In today's episode, we dive into easily the greatest defensive end in the history of the league, Bruce Smith. And this is one of the most fascinating stories in the NFL. This is a guy who played 19 years in the league at an unbelievably tough position, racked up, actually not over, it racked up 200 sacks, and is truly a story of it's not where you start, but it's where you finish. This is a unique look into what made one of the greatest players in the history of the league great, what made him a Hall of Famer. But before we dive into today's show i want to take a minute and talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod bet online if you're into sports betting bet online is where you should go to win money today whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship bet online has the latest odds news and information for all your online sports betting needs so what are you waiting for visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50 percent off welcome bonus on your first deposit that's right 50 percent off welcome bonus on your first deposit we say it week after week Bet online is where it's at. So before the next big game, we got some big preseason action this weekend. Head over to Bet Online and start playing today. All right, guys, this is truly a special look at one of the all-time greats in the NFL. This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pauling, and this is our look at Bruce Smith, the Hall of Famer. All right, we are live today on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. Somehow it is hotter in the Cape than it is in Southern Virginia. I don't know what's going on in the world. Uh, how are we doing today, guys? It, it's hotter in, at the Cape than it is in Southern California. Yes, so there you go. Well, don't warm it, boys. Yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in some <laughs> yes, sort of yes, we are in some yes, sort of monsoon rain season today. Well, speaking of Virginia, we are going to spend today's episode talking about one of Virginia's favorite sons, Bruce Bernard Smith, who played defensive end in the National Football League for a whopping hard to process 19 seasons, primarily with the Buffalo Bills. He played his college football at Virginia Tech, where he was a two time All-American and was selected first overall by the Bills in the 1985 draft, considered one of the the greatest defensive ends of all time. He's the NFL leader in quarterback sacks. Smith also received 11 Pro Bowl selections and eight first-team All-Pro honors while appearing in four consecutive Super Bowls with the Bills. He was inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame in 2006 and the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2009. And when you look at that stat line, two numbers jump out at you. 19 years and a cool even 200 sacks. Hey guys, so I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain. And I was reading a press release about how he started taking a pH balancing alkaline supplement called Balance 7, and that was what helped him bounce back from his famous hospitalization in 2015. He even said, I have an enormous amount of energy, which is good for me. It's important when working out. I always need energy to level up. Couldn't agree more with Lamar, and after watching him in what you could loosely call a boxing match against Aaron Carter in July's Celebrity Boxing, I think it's safe to say Balance 7 is working for him. Cool thing is, we've got a promotion running with Balance 7 right now where if you go to their website, balance7.com, and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout, you'll receive a free 4-ounce bottle of My Smooth Skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. That product retails for $13.99, so I'd say it is worth it. Again, head over to Balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout to get in on the promotion. I know I will. It worked for him. It can work for you, too. So, Rick, where do we start with the questions today? 
So we are going to start sort of, Bill, at the end to, to ask a question that encompasses the whole thing. So Bill, uh, Bruce himself, as well as a lot of his teammates, have talked about uh, how much Bruce changed for the better um, over the course of their career. Uh, talk about that a little and tell us, is this an example of it's not where you start, but where you finish? Well, um, I think it, it, the short answer is it's an example of smart people get better and people who aren't smart don't. <laughs> is exceedingly smart. Secondly, in order to give you the, 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 the real answer, you have to go back to the very beginning. Okay. And um, I'll take you back to my first scouting trip to see him, which was at Clemson on Labor Day weekend. Uh, Fridge was on the other team, William Perry. Mm -hmm. It was September in Clemson, as only it can be, probably 112 or so on the field. Like the Cape today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, no, the Cape is nowhere near that. <laughs> nowhere near that. You have never experienced anything until you've experienced uh, summer in the upcountry of South Carolina. Right. It is, it is unique. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it was as, as hot as it gets. As, as we entered the press box before the game, there was a huge poster on the wall of Fridge, life-size poster. Whoa. And poster. he was probably, I'm guessing, 330 then, you know, maybe 325 at a time when 305, which is what Bruce was, was considered huge. To give you a, to put it in context, a, a late great friend of mine was on the field with me in Chicago before we were playing the Bears in a preseason game and Fridge was with the Bears. And he said, you know, I'd really like to walk down and, and see what he's like up close and personal. I said, sure, come on down. We'll say hello. I know him well anyway. I'd interviewed him before the draft and all that stuff. And uh, so, and he was this, Fridge was as warm and outgoing a person as you ever met. So he said, hey, Bill, how you doing? You know, just down there stretching. <laughs> and of course, then he was probably 350 if he was an ounce. Yeah. And 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 was stretching like Gumby, you know, he's putting one leg over the other and so forth. And my buddy, who was a professor of, of, of in a business school and a bright person and at the University of Georgia and had been around athletes, obviously he was an athlete and around athletes all his life, was standing there with his mouth agape. And so I wished Fritz Logan and we walked away and he said, he's as big as two normal people. <laughs> he's as wide as two normal people. I said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, you don't get that nickname for nothing. <laughs> no. So that was the fridge. Bruce uh, weighed in at, at a spelt 305 right. <laughs> uh, on that day in Clemson. And they both played amazingly well for two plays per series. Now, at the end of, a, of, of one particular series in the first half where there was a long drive, Fridge literally couldn't get off the field. He had to crawl off the field at the end of the series. That's how, <laughs> how wounded they were. Bruce was in the same position. He didn't have to crawl off, but he was yeah. <laughs> he needed assistance. <laughs> so neither one was in shape to play in that weather. Now, first of all, it was an afternoon game, too, by the way. No one should have to play in that kind of weather period. But the the uh it was amazing to see their both guys' athletic ability hampered by all this weight that they were carrying. So that was my first exposure to him. And um, and then I had two more looks at him live during the season and, of course, saw all the film. I was the pro guy with the Colts at the time. The Bills. No, I'm sorry, with the Bills. Pardon me. And uh, and so we were getting uh, – we were going to have the first pick in the draft because we had a terrible team, and we all knew. Uh, we finished 2-14. and 14. And sometime in December – we convened a meeting and it was 
the head coach, Kay Stevenson, myself and our personnel director, uh, Norm Pollan. And Kay said, you know, how, how do you guys see it? And, uh, and Norm said, well, look, he said, there's, there's a choice between two guys, Bruce Smith or Ray Childress. We need a defensive end. We don't need fridge and, and, and there's no possibility that, you know, we take a guy really that heavy with the first pick in the draft. And so I agreed. I said, yeah, that's, that's how it boils down in my mind. And I'd seen Ray Childress, who was the, who was the reverse of these two. He looked like Howie Long, you know, <laughs> cut, just, you know, a movie star physique, probably 265 or so, maybe 260 motor that wouldn't quit tough as nails interestingly enough both both bruce and ray played three four right defensive end so they were really guys who were who should have been two gapping but they weren't they were one gap players playing in a two gap defense uh, right yeah. so it gave you some idea of what kind of athletic ability they had what kind of toughness they had in terms of being able to play a technique that wasn't really ideally suited to their abilities. So um, Kay said, all right, at least we know what the picture is. We can look at this going forward, write your reports. And, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about it when the season's over. So I, I should also add that we had, we were going to have the first pick in the draft. And in those days you could sign the first pick at any time. You could exercise the pick, let's say, the day after the season ended and or after the Super Bowl and and go ahead and sign him the next day. Right. Because there was the USFL out there and everybody was concerned about that. So um, I think you can still do that today, but many people don't. In fact, most people don't. But in, in any event, it was clear that we were going to do that because we didn't want to run the risk, having lost Joe Cribs, uh, having lost some other, you know, solid players to the USFL, we weren't taking another chance that our crack attorney would <laughs> give us advice that, uh, oh, yeah, we don't have to sign him right away. We can wait. The USFL contract won't uh, come into play. You know, that's how we lost from Joe Cribs. Yeah. Well, uh, Andy was drafted by Baltimore, which probably was a threat, too, because he could be closer to home. Of course. Of course it was. Yeah. So I wrote my report and I gave uh, the highest you can give is an eight. And I, and I took the ultimate weasel way out by saying he's a 7.9 or if he doesn't get in shape, probably a 4.0. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <pick>. Yeah. <laughs> And I had Childress at like a 7.5. Right. And so, you know, I have to be honest and say I took the weasel way out. <laughs> I couldn't predict. I couldn't predict what he was going to be like. We didn't have a, a, a psychological evaluation at the time and the bills weren't doing it. So we, we didn't, you know, we couldn't really figure out what the heck he was going to be. Uh, clearly he was, you know, he had all our work to do in terms of conditioning and hustle and all that kind of thing. In the end, Norm said, look, uh, I'm going to use today's language. That's not, this is not the way he described it, but I'll use today's language so that younger listeners like yourself can understand it. He said, Ray has a ceiling. He, he has a ceiling. He'll only, he'll only be so good when he reaches the NFL because he doesn't have the God-given talent, the unique talent that Bruce has. Bruce has unique talent. He described, he, he, Norm had been with the Los Angeles Rams as a younger man, and, and, and he, he, he described him as, uh, you know, the great Rams defensive end, Deacon Jones, you know, a one of a kind. Right. So um, we, we said, all right, we're rolling the dice here. Um, and Mr. Wilson was um, in the horse racing business, and he had a little, for a guy who was very, very tight with the buck and very conservative, he had a gambler's streak in him. And so when we, we talked to him about the potential choice, he said, uh, 
he said, well, what the heck? Life's a gamble. You know, <laughs> we can hit big with this guy. So, okay, it's going to be Bruce Smith. And, um, and so with that, to just drive another nail into the, into the coffin that had become the Bills, starting with the loss of Joe Cribbs and others to the USFL. The general manager, Terry Bledsoe, who wasn't really a personnel guy, he was a sort of a contract and administrative guy, but nonetheless a, yeah, yeah. a good guy and the, and the boss, my boss yeah, he, for sure. Was a good guy, yeah. Uh, has a debilitating heart attack and um, and and can't work. And, and is it going to, the prognosis was really not very good for him. Fortunately, he survived and lived a, a you know, decent life thereafter, but, but wasn't going to be able to work for at least six, maybe more months. So now the question was, who negotiates with Bruce Smith? And so Kay Stevenson said to Mr. Wilson, we got the guy right here who can do it, Bill Pollard. <laughs> now, I was, I was known only peripherally to Mr. Wilson. When I was first hired that, that previous July, I was replacing a man who had suffered a debilitating back injury and could no longer work, who was the first pro personnel director in the club's history. And Mr. Wilson was terribly opposed to the hiring, as were some people around. They didn't think it was necessary, including the lawyer, by the way, that I mentioned before, who was responsible for the, for the Cribs loss. And so when I was hired, Kay and Terry Bledsoe said, you're going to be on the road doing advanced scouting anyway. So I was going to replicate what I've done with the Chiefs, as well as handling pro personnel contacts and contracts. So you're not going to be around. But if Mr. Wilson's in the building, make yourself scarce because he really doesn't know you've been hired. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so as luck would have it, <laughs> again, you know, Life is stranger than fiction. You can't write these. You can't write these stories. We're playing the Dolphins on a Monday night, and of course the Dolphins were in your heyday. Dan Marino, the the, the, the Marx Brothers, Coach Shula, the whole bit, you know. And uh, twenty straight victories over the Bills. I think probably won twenty straight at the time. It was probably about sixteen or so straight at the time over the Bills. And uh, it's a Monday night game, and so. Uh, I was going to be in with the coaches in the booths because I've done the advance on Miami and had my done my advance the following day. And so I'm riding about ready to get in the elevator to go down. And I've got Bill's gear on to go down to the field and who should step out of the elevator, but Mr. Wilson. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said, who are you? Who are I you? myself. <laughs> and I said, I, I, I'm working at pro personnel. And he went, you are, are you? <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> he said, well, okay, welcome aboard. <laughs> he, he'd been a, he'd been a skipper of a ship, of a Navy ship during World War II. So <laughs> I knew that, that he wasn't going to court-martial me anyway. <laughs> 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 but, so... Not, you you weren't going to be hung by the yard arm. <laughs> no, no, that's right. No, <laughs> and, and so, Kay Stevenson. Now in January, when when uh, when uh, it's time to uh, find out how we're going to try and sign Bruce Smith, said to Mr. Wilson, "Listen, Bill Pauling can do it. He's signed guys for the Chiefs. He's signed guys in the USFL. He was the general manager of the Chicago Blitz." He's the best person in the building to do this. And I'm not sure that Mr. Wilson was sold on that, but there was another man who worked for the Bills who was essentially the man who brought them to Buffalo. His name was Pat McGroder, and God rest his soul. And, and he became a, a really good friend during that 2-14 and 14 season. Like, like most, and he, Pat was close to 80 at that point in time, but he came to work every day and he was invested in the team. And, and so, you know, how, how it is with 
and I'm learning now how it is with older guys when you go visit a team or you're at a team. There are very few people to talk to. Everybody's busy and buzzing around and doing this and doing that. So he would stop in my office every Monday or Tuesday and talk about the game. And he had difficulty. Vince Ferragamo was our quarterback. And Pat would say, Billy, what are we going to do about Ferragamo? He couldn't pronounce his name. Ferragamo is what he used to say. So... I said, well, nothing we can do, Pat. So we, we'd sit there and talk. And so he called, Kay, Kay said to him, would you call Mr. Wilson and, and, and vouch for Bill? So he did, and Pat did. And he said, you know, he can do it. There's no question. He's the best guy to do it. He signs guys every week. I see him doing it. So Mr. Wilson said, well, okay, send them over. So they, they sent me over to Detroit to Mr. Wilson's office, and we spoke for about two hours and there was a man there named Dave Olson who was the treasurer of the of the company. It was all below Mr. Wilson's companies, chief financial officer. And uh, Mr. Wilson had a bunch of companies. He had a car hauling company and he had the racing stable and so on and so forth. So um, Mr. Wilson said, okay, you're not a finance guy. Dave's the finance guy. Both of you get together and work this out and let's get him signed. So I said, great. So off we went. And uh, I don't know that unless you want to, that we need to go into the negotiations. But that was the start of it. And we did get him signed to a huge contract at the time. We didn't lose him the way the Bills lost Jim Kelly previously uh, or Joe Cribbs or many other good players that had somehow fallen through the cracks. And, um, and we began the long process of building the team back to the team that eventually won or uh, won four AFC championships and went to four Super Bowls. Um, and Bruce was, was the first, well, actually Jim Kelly was the first piece in that puzzle, but Bruce was the first one to come aboard. And, um, and the early going, the first three years were, were pretty rocky, but uh, we got past it. And, uh, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. So, Bill, at that time, when he, as we said, you didn't have the uh, the sophisticated psychological tests and so on, but over the course of this, you must have gotten to know Bruce well. Did this boost your confidence that he'd be willing to do the work and put in the time and make the sacrifice to drop the weight? In a word, no. <laughs> and he would tell you that. He would, he would agree with that. Okay. I was just um, trying to establish our basis here, yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, the first three years were, were pretty rocky. Um, number one, the coach who succeeded Kate Stevenson, who was fired a couple of weeks into the following season, the 85 season, I guess, didn't like him uh, because he saw that he was lazy and, and wasn't doing enough to maximize the talent. Hank was a very good defensive line, very good defensive line guy. He saw that the, the talent and was very frustrated by Bruce's inability to maximize the talent. He also had some pretty unique, not unique, but pretty, pretty conservative views on how in the three, four Bruce should play. And Bruce didn't like that. He didn't want to be a five tech. And I don't blame him. <laughs> with that ability. You want to go up the field, right? He wasn't Reggie white. He didn't have, the power that Reggie White had, but Reggie White never in his best day had the speed or flexibility or explosiveness that Bruce had. So uh, they, I, you mentioned in the opening how they're, they separated themselves from everybody else in football history, including Deacon Jones. If you use these modern supposed sacks that weren't recorded. And I'll, I'll accept it to, with, a, with a grain of salt, but I'll accept it. But they're head and shoulders above everybody else that ever played the game. But they're actually complementary guys. Reggie's a left hand, Bruce is a right hand. If you had both of them, you'd, you'd rule the world. Right. So uh, the, 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 um, that was a rope. And, um, and so things were not smooth at all. And um, that offseason, uh, we didn't have much of an offseason program anyway. Um, that didn't come until later. But that offseason was rough. And then 
the following year, it only got worse in training camp with Hank and Bruce and, and uh, Bruce's best friend became Daryl Talley, who, if anything, Hank disliked more than he would dislike Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so it, it just was untenable. And, and they really were, were, were not, they were unhappy and, and it showed. And there were, you know, probably seven or eight other guys who on the team who were unhappy because of the morale. I'm talking about unhappy to the point where I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And, and actually, there was a guy that comes to mind right now, a guy named Sean McNanny, who played the other defensive end, who hasn't gotten nearly the credit he deserves. Sean McNanny was, was a really good player, and he kind of held it together. He and Jim Haslett and Fred Smurlis kind of held it together, although Smurlis disliked Hank immensely as well. <laughs> but they 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 kind of kept Bruce and 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 Daryl from going over the edge, and Daryl was a really good influence on Bruce, because uh, Daryl was older and had you know had been around. I think he might have been a rookie on a, on the last good team that we had in Buffalo before the roof fell in, and um, so it was it was an untenable situation. In the meantime, Terry was unable to work and had been essentially walked away from his contract. I'm sure Mr. Wilson paid him, but he, he left. And I was out of the blue appointed general manager. Right. And then we get an opportunity to sign Jim Kelly. Very same situation as we did with Bruce in competition with now not the USFL with the Oakland Raiders who had tampered with him. And, uh, <laughs> and, and and actually were negotiating with his with his agents. Um, I had to go convince Jim to come to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jim comes in, and he's not crazy about Hank, <laughs> and he's absolutely not crazy about the quarterback coach. And so we've got kind of a messy situation that, and that's putting it charitably, and it's, it's going from bad to worse. So, at you know, along about the three-quarter mark in the season, um, it reached the point where the players were about ready to, to go over the hill. And, uh, and so uh, we made a change at, at the head coaching position, brought Marv in, Marv Levy, and he instantly righted the ship in terms of morale and uh, and how to approach the players and and gave everybody a clean slate. Everyone rallied around him. It was a, a completely, it was like a, a black cloud had been lifted from the building. The black cloud that surrounded Buffalo sports with the loss of Jim Kelly originally to the USFL had been lifted when Jim Kelly signed. But they, the cloud still lingered in the locker room. <laughs> right. In fact, it was getting close to a mushroom cloud. <laughs> so, so Marv changed all of that. But in the end, he didn't really change Bruce. So, you know, Bruce was not late for meetings, but he'd be right on the edge. Um, if he was supposed to be in the training room, he would be late for that. He was hitting the nightlife pretty well in those days, which, of course, as a first round draft choice with a lot of money, he could. Uh, and um, and he had not yet married his college sweetheart, Carmen. And so he was, he was, you know, living the good life to say the least and, and, and not doing what he needed to do with football, the least of which was the, uh, the weight. There were other issues as well. So he ran afoul of the, of the NFL drug program. He got, you know, tested positive, I think, for marijuana, and um, and was and was sent to a, you know, a local rehab facility, and um, and after a couple of weeks, I, I think he was due. I think he was due to stay three or three and a half weeks. I can't recall which. He called me and said, "You got to come over here and talk to me." And, and so he, he said, "I want out. I can't stay here. They're driving me crazy." 
And I said, no, you have to stay. You, you just have to. And, and I, I'm not going to have it on my conscience that a talent like you, who, who will be, not could be, but will be in the Hall of Fame, if you do what you have to do, I'm not going to enable that. You've got to do what the league has you to do. And, and, and that's all there is to it. We don't have a choice and you don't have a choice. So he was very unhappy, but he said, okay, I'll do it. And um, to his credit, and he came back, but still was not doing what he needed to do. And so at the end of the season, Marv said to me, I'm going to have a meeting with Bruce and I want you in the meeting, but don't say anything. This is my meeting. I said, okay, fine. So he called him in. And I'm paraphrasing here. He said, Bruce, you have the most talent of maybe any player I've ever been around, but you're wasting it. And I'm not going to put up with it because it hurts not only you, but the rest of the team. It hurts morale, et cetera. So you have a chance here, one chance to um, rectify your, your career. And if not, there won't be it. There won't be any more. Now, most people today have not heard Marv speak except on – film clips or things like that. And he's always very upbeat and, and very erudite and very positive, except when he's really mad. And he was really mad. <laughs> and Bruce, Bruce got it. So we left the room and, and, and we had to walk down a long hallway to get together to get to my office and then ultimately for Bruce to go down in the locker room. And I, I recall, I'm paraphrasing again, Bruce saying to me, wow, Marv was really ticked, wasn't he? I said, yes, he was. I'm not sure I've ever seen him that ticked. And I guarantee you, he means what he says. So you better get with it. So as Marv tells the story, Bruce went home and, and you know, promised Carmen that if she would marry him, he'd, he'd you know, dedicate himself. And he did. And uh, with the help of, of of some people in the building. We didn't have a psychologist, but support people in the building, the trainers and our security director and others. Bruce discovered the, the, the Stairmaster, yeah. thanks to Rusty Jones, yeah. uh, our strength coach, who was probably the biggest influence on him at that point. He discovered nutrition and came back for fall camp that year at uh, you know, in the 265, 270 range, which is what he played for the rest of his 18-year or 19-year career and uh, and became the Bruce Smith that, uh, that you know, was now in the Hall of Fame and the, 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 the guy with the most sacks of all time. Now, along the way, it, there was a lot of fun and games. <laughs> you know, it was Bruce and Jim were like – they had to be equal. If, if Jim, if Jim got a car from a car dealer, Bruce would be knocking on my door. How can I get, I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it for you. you know? <laughs> uh, you know, we had to make sure that on the press guide, <laughs> you know, the juxtaposition right, yeah, yeah. of faces yeah, were the yeah. same. And, and, and Jim, to his credit, uh, you know, handled it, handled it really well. And to Bruce's credit, he handled it really well, too. And then Bruce always resisted being a five technique. Didn't like it at all. And Marv brought with him Ted Cottrell, who, who was an outstanding defensive line and linebacker coach. And Ted was really responsible, I think, for, Bruce would tell you this, responsible for taking him to the next level as a player. He taught him moves. He, he listened to what Bruce had to say about what Bruce thought he could do best against another opponent, things of that nature. And, and they really had a phenomenal relationship. So the relationship of Bruce to his position coach and his head coach went 180 degrees from the way it was when he first came to the way it was when we went to the four Super Bowls and and, and the buildup to all of that. But there are times that were really funny where you'd, you'd laugh, uh, where Bruce would supposed to line up in a five technique and he'd be in a seven technique. And Daryl, who played on his side of the line of scrimmage most of the time, 
would, would be yelling at him. You could see Daryl yelling at him, Bruce, Bruce, you know, he'd give him a code word to move down because there was this stunt or a blitz or something on, and Bruce wouldn't move. And finally, Daryl would come along and just kick him in the rear end and say, get down. And he would. They were like the odd couple. You know, they, were always, they were always arguing. But Bruce could absolutely destroy. There was no blocker who could block Bruce Smith, destroy a block. Very few double teams that could stop him. Um, Buddy Ryan with the uh, with the uh, Eagles, uh, who didn't had Buddy had no compunction about hurting a, a, another player, an opposing <laughs> player. Yeah, I mean that seriously. He's a great defensive coach, but that I mean that's a that's a big time flaw. Um, decided to uh, to double team Bruce with a tight end and and a tackle and cut it. And over what amounted to an illegal chop block, you know, lure him with the tackle and then cut with the end. And I can't recall who the tight end was. It wasn't their number one guy. It was a, a second guy. Spagnolo, if I recall correctly, was the number one guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Um, but in this particular game, he, he did it, you know, three or four times. And you could see Bruce John at it, you know. And then finally, at the end of the half, just before the end of the half, it happened again, and uh, and and Bruce jumped in his face, and probably was you know going to kill him. I mean, you can imagine some guy trying to take your knee out. And as the story goes, he said to him, "Bruce, Bruce, it's not me. It's not me. It's Buddy who's telling me to do this." So as the half was ending, Bruce made a beeline for Buddy <laughs> and threatened to kill him. <laughs> And, and, uh, you know, Buddy got the message. (laughs) Yeah, Coach Coach Ryan backed off, right? Yeah. 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 Pretty pretty good. So, I mean, do you think this was a weird thing? Because it came up in the research where I was learning about the stair. Do you think there was something to him using the Stairmaster so much that made him technically better? Or was it just that form of cardio helped him get the weight off? That form of cardio became uh, became a, 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 a habit for him. Uh, w- one of our guys said it's almost an addiction. You know, he he's, he does it day in and day, and probably does to this day. I oh no, he's still it. on it today. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So it, it was that was his way of, of of going into the world and saying this what this is what I have to do to be Bruce Smith and the best Bruce Smith I can be. But did the the act? I think Scott was getting at Bill. Aside from the benefit from a cardiovascular standpoint and a weight loss standpoint, was there something perhaps I won't say magical, but in the motion of doing that, that somehow also amplified his talents? No, I don't think so. Yeah, you know, I've never asked him about that, but I, but I don't think so. I think that that you know he was so flexible, so long that when he got down into that 265 range, his explosion, never lost any explosion. His explosion was the same when he was, you know, 305. So imagine a guy with, you know, who lost 40 pounds, whose explosion and endurance is better than it was before. So, you know, he, he just, uh, he just became Superman. That's what he was. Right. And, uh, and and now, I don't want to create the impression that he did this all on 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 raw ability. He he didn't. He worked at it. Uh, and, and but he was so gifted that you know he he Ted would teach him a move or he'd experiment with a move and and use it the next week and boom, just like that, he had it down. I mean, he's one of the most exceptional athletes mentally, physically from key and diagnose standpoint, I've ever been around. It's just absolutely exceptional. Think about Lawrence Taylor and Cornelius Bennett, okay, who played on the left-hand side, respectively. Lawrence for the for the Giants, Cornelius for us when we finally got him and matched him up with Bruce. He, he Bruce was actually more powerful, more explosive, and more 
had more acceleration than either of those guys. That's why he got those 200 sacks. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was, he was exceptionally gifted, exceptionally tough, exceptionally dedicated to being the best he could be. And he was, he's the best there ever was. It's that simple. Bill, what do you think? I mean, you, you touched on this earlier, but I mean, he wasn't necessarily the most natural fit for the three, four. Would, do you think he would have had, Oh no. would he have had more sacks you think playing in a four, three? Oh God. We used to, when I was at Indianapolis, I used to talk to John Terling or John Terling, a great defensive line coach we had would ask me about it. He said, we get within our system. Bruce Smith would have gotten 250 sacks. You know, <laughs> we just turn them loose. Said, Don't worry about the run. Just, Get up the field. <laughs> now he was he was exaggerating, but uh, there's no question in my mind that he if he had played in in, in Dungey defense in Tampa too, where where he he really his sole job was to get up the field with Cornelius Bennett on the other side. Woo! <laughs> was there ever a temptation to switch? Well, Ted Ted Cottrell uh, created both in the nickel. And, and 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 along with our our coordinator Walt Corey created fronts where essentially we were in a forefront, and he was in a seven technique most of the time. But I don't think we ever put him in a nine technique, which is really I mean that's where you would really wreak havoc. Where how do you get to him? You know, right? Like He's, how does that tackle a three hundred and twenty pounds get to him from a nine technique when he's it. lined up three yards away? You could right. imagine him in that Jim Schwartz defense playing all the yeah. way out there and just light it up. Exactly. Just go, baby. The other thing was that occasionally, occasionally, Ted would would figure out that there was a guard that we could beat and create havoc, or in some cases, a center who was too weak to handle. And he and he would move him. Not, not for the whole game, but in certain situations down over the center or, or on the inside eye of the guard. And you want to see offensive linemen and quarterbacks begin to quake? Uh-oh, what's oh, yeah. he doing here? <laughs> D- Doug Peterson has a great story about that when he was a backup quarterback for the Eagles and they moved Bruce Smith inside and he just looked and goes, uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah. Goes, I'm getting sad. So this is about to happen. I have gone down. Yeah. That's right. So, so, what is 78 doing here? Oh my God. Isn't gonna be good. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, and you, you mentioned it before getting a little more into in sort of the human side of things. You you mentioned the sort of the the competition between uh, Bruce and Jim Kelly to make sure they were treated even handily, et cetera. But talk about their actual relationship uh, and how important it was in the locker room and overall in terms of building out the team. Well, you know, those were the two, those were the two alpha males. I mean, those were the guys that, 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 uh, whose play drove the train. I, I think back always, whenever I think of Bruce, I think back always to Super Bowl 25. And, and for what, to me, is the pivotal play in the game, everybody talks about how Bill Belichick rushed two guys and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, we didn't have the timeout at the end to, to get a little closer for Scotty. If I'm not – correct me if – I may be wrong on this, but I think the score was 10-3 to 3 in our favor early in the second quarter. Is this the Hostetler one? Yes. Yes. And Bruce – shoots the gap to the inside of the tackle, leaves him in the dust, catches Hostetler in the end zone. And now it was a jailbreak. We had three other white jerseys there, including Cornelius, I think, and 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 maybe even Jeff Wright, our nose tackle. And Bruce has him by the the wrist, by the right wrist. Oh, yeah, the ball's moving. Hostetler's going down and – I said to the guys I was seated next to, fumble, we're going to get it. And Bruce, and you look at the NFL film version of the game, Bruce has a vice grip on his wrist and Hostetler has the ball and he never lost the ball. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's amazing how that happened. I will never, ever know. And as a result, we ended up with a safety and not a touchdown. Yeah. 
And of course, that's the difference in the game. That's the difference between being world champions and right. runner up. Yeah, you didn't need the field goal. <clears throat> and, and it had nothing to do with Bruce. Bruce made an amazing play. And Costetler may have been the only guy in the world who could sustain the ball without fumbling it in that situation. He may have the grip strength of no human that's ever walked the face of right. the earth. Because watching that play this week, it just doesn't even make sense by the laws of physics. Because Hostetler's right. leaning, Bruce has him by the wrist, the ball's moving in Hostetler's hands, and you can see in Bruce's eyes, he's like, when's this dropping? And it just doesn't drop. Right, right. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe it has to do with growing up in Hossopel, Pennsylvania, which Hostetler did. <laughs> Well, I, I think most of it has to do with fate. You know, it's just sometimes sometimes it's destined to be and sometimes it's not. not. I agree. But then even, even Bruce in that moment, just as a human being, uh, you know, Scott Norwood has said that one of the most important things in his life is almost Bruce coming up to him after that game and just sort of consoling him and saying, Hey, this is, this isn't one play. This isn't on you. How important yeah. do you think that moment was in sort of Bruce's leadership and what it meant to the team? Oh, there were there are a lot of those moments. I mean, Bruce became a real leader. And and you almost have to understand the psychology of athletes, particularly professional athletes. The guys who are really special athletically, the guys who make plays that even the best of the best can't make, yeah. which Bruce Smith and Jim Kelly were, they're looked up to. They're looked up to by their peers. They're feared by their opponents. You know, if that guy has, that person has leadership qualities, which which really are amount to competitiveness, uh, drive, toughness, selflessness in terms of the team and his teammates, that guy automatically becomes a big-time leader. And what he right. says is almost always what happens. And Bruce had all of that, including uh, even when he was at the peak of his game before he, you know, he'd reached full maturity. He had that selflessness when it came to his teammates. He, he, was, he was always a guy who, who cared about and paid attention to his teammates. So, Bill, uh, this was also reflected not only uh, inside the organization, but uh, Bruce, who obviously, as you talked about, was a certain guy in college when he first came in, but he actually became a, a, um, a leader in the community, humanitarian, Operation Smile. Talk about his development as a man and what his legacy is both uh, to the game and to Buffalo and, and folks he touched. Well, in, in Marv attributes a lot of that to Carmen, and I, and I think that's that's true. And, of course, I left in 1993, so even though we're, we're still very friendly, and I was absolutely thrilled when he went into the Hall of Fame, you know, Marv was there for much more of, of, of his career in Buffalo. But, you know, he became a leader in the community, and, and I think that's, you know, great – tribute to him, but Carmen as well. Um, and, and most interestingly, he, he's done very well in his, in his, in his post-football career. And, and he and I had a chance to spend some time together when his son was playing at Virginia Tech um, and, and talking about that and how, how, you know, how wonderful it was for him and what a good father he was. I mean, he never put any pressure on the young man and, you know, it, it was never – he never had to be Bruce Smith, too. He, he was a great father and a great, uh, a great supporter in that regard. But most recently, uh, when the new collective bargaining agreement came up, there was a push on the part of many Hall of Famers to try to make sure that players who were what they call pre-93 players, players that came into the league prior to the 93 collective bargaining agreement, which gave free agency and lots of other benefits. And of course, all the untold riches yeah. that come to play. Imagine what Bruce Smith would make today. Oh yeah. I mean, the, uh, 
start with 40 million a year yeah. and yeah. go from there, right? Let it ride. Yeah, they did. There was a, a, a lot of chatter, a lot of talk about what to do in terms of helping the pre-93ers. And he was a big moving force in getting the Hall of Fame focused on that task, in getting the league focused on that task, and being a bridge between the more conservative pre-93ers who didn't want to be disruptive and some guys on the other side of it who didn't mind being disruptive yeah. in order to get their in order to get their point across. And because he's Bruce Smith and has that ultimate respect from everybody, he was able to bridge that gap. And there was nothing in it for him. It was, I mean, he has he's gonna get some benefits from it, but he didn't need it. Yeah. It's 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 the people, the other guys that he worked so hard for. And 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 I know he because we had lots of discussions about it. I was on a committee that was that the, the hall had formed um, among its members to, to, to try and uh, take a position and help the NFL understand what the pre-93ers uh, had given to the game. Bruce was a driving force behind that. And that's, you know, he, he's now not only the best defensive end ever to play, but he's a statesman as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we will bring it home maybe with the most impressive thing he's ever done. And I want to know if you've done it. Have you ever finished the spaghetti parm at Chef's? I have. You so you've you you finished the whole thing. I finished the whole thing. Look at Amazing. that. In another body. In another body. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah, very, very cool. Most important. And if you Add a flesh head a little bit. I've seen Bill also finish the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's, which is a real test of manhood with how hot <laughs> that cocktail sauce is. Pretty good. The spaghetti parm at uh at Chef's is a monster. That's true. It's a monster. It's, it's so a monster. There's two. I mean, you, you, we probably should put an asterisk on that because they probably gave me a smaller portion. Of the papers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty nuts. All right. Well, thank you for sharing the memories of easily the greatest defensive end in the history of the league uh if you have any questions or things you want us to hit up or if you've actually finished the spaghetti farm in buffalo hit us up on twitter i have bill polian and we will be sure to reshare it this week thank you guys yeah. thank you all right everybody thank you stay safe everybody see you guys bye-bye For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.